conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is back. We are in our second week of Marvel month here. You know, leading up to Avengers Endgame, I thought it would be a good idea to sort of just wrap up the rest of the Marvel movies that I had yet to discuss. So joining me today is Katie Schaefer to discuss the first Thor movie. And it's a movie. It is indeed a movie. And it was a very interesting watch because I didn't remember most of it. I did not either. And it was one of those things where I remember watching this movie. I don't think I saw it in theaters. I don't think I saw most of the early movies in theaters. It's just not something I really went out and frequently did before, you know, in high school and everything. I was always too busy with this, that, or the other thing. And I don't even know when this came out. I think I was still in high school when this came out. So, you know, I definitely watched it at some point. But then when I went to rewatch it for this episode, I was like, oh, this is what this movie is. <laughs> yep. Same, same. I think it came out in 2009. And I felt the exact same because there was so whole parts of that plot that I totally forgot. I remembered the stuff I really didn't like about it the first time I watched it. And that Natalie Portman was in it. Yeah. And that was about it. <laughs> and that we see the Tesseract. That's sort of what I remembered. I was like, okay, Natalie Portman, Kat Dennings, I remember this. And then I did not remember a lot of other things, which we'll dive into in a bit when we talk more about the plot. But since this is the first Thor movie, I think talking about the casting is always a great idea when it comes to movies, because that's a crucial part of any movie, in my opinion. And I think it's clear that Chris Hemsworth was a great choice to play Thor. But then you have all of these other characters in this one you know you have natalie portman as jane foster and anyone who has read some of the thor comics especially recently might know that jane foster actually becomes thor herself in the comics and i don't know the full details on that how that happens so i won't be spoiling it for you because it's something i've just seen in passing i haven't actually read those comics specifically but i think you know the way they use the character in this movie, I was like, ooh, no. <laughs> and yeah. It was one of those things where, you know, Kat Dennings offers some more comic relief with her character because she was sort of the last person available to take on this fellowship sort of thing. And she's a political science major, if I'm remembering correctly, which does not fit right? with actual science really at no. all. <laughs> No, they're two completely different fields. It's so crazy. Oh, God. And Portman in this is like, she's doing her best. But like, they, this script is real hard. And not even Natalie Portman can elevate her role. Like, she gives it her all at saying some of those really, like, real cheesy or like, what I like to call science, 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 where they're just making up things as they go along to make it sound like, Sciency, and she does okay with that stuff probably because she is actually a scientist and so isn't you know confused or unfamiliar with those types of ideas but oof at times i was like all right she's pretty good at this and then at the times i was like oh honey i'm so sorry you had to take this on <laughs> yeah yeah so this movie actually released in 2011 which seems yes. very late 
you know, I always thought it was earlier because Iron Man was what two thousand eight. So two thousand eight, it, it took them a little while to get going. They were like, okay, we sort of need to figure this out because Iron Man did really well for us. And obviously, I think in the back of their minds, they had this larger plan. I don't know how much of it was fleshed out at the beginning of the MCU or anything like that, but it really feels like they were like, okay, what is the best way we can introduce Thor? And obviously you have to have that sort of fish out of water storyline to get him on Earth in the first place. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And that's used to a very uh, exhausting. It comes up so much that it's just tiring about 15 minutes in. You're like, you've made this joke a lot now. Let's move on. Let's make some other jokes. But yeah. <laughs> it's kind of the whole source of all the comedy in the movie. Otherwise, it's very serious. Right. And that doesn't really work well with Thor as a character, I think. So, and part of that could be because Kenneth Branagh directed this. Yeah. That Kenneth Branagh. Yes, everyone who's wondering, <laughs> is there another one? Nope. nope. This is the, the famous Shakespearean actor and director and uh, villain of Wild Wild West, which was the first time I ever saw that movie. I was like, all right, Kenneth Branagh is a lot weirder than anyone ever knew. <laughs> but he brings this, this kind of gravitas to it, I think, that doesn't really work with what they're trying to do. It doesn't blend well. Yeah, they have a ton of huge names in this cast, too. If you just look at like the first 10 names, you're like, wow, that's that's a lot of heavy hitting actors in this. You have not only Chris Hemsworth and Natalie Portman, but you have Tom Hiddleston as Loki, Anthony Hopkins as Odin, Stellan Skarsgård is the one working with Jane. Again, Kat Dennings, Clark Gregg makes his appearance as necessary. You have Idris Elba in this. Even Jamie Alexander and Rene Russo. It's just like so many people. Right. And they're all... Like, they all kind of, they all seem like they fit in with this serious tone that the film is taking, and, like, they can make it work. But it's just like, oh, it's such an un, it's like a missed opportunity. And I love Idris Elba's performance in this. I I really enjoy him. I think he's a great actor. And Tom Hiddleston but was, this, I think, was the, when we really get to see him shine early on yeah. and get a sense of who early Loki is. Because Tom Hiddleston, I mean, he personifies this character. He's totally such a, like, he just looks perfect in the role and has great performances and pronunciations and just everything he does is great. But in this one, he's a very almost proto-Loki that he becomes, you know, by like Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. With Tom Hiddleston specifically, I think he just jumped headfirst into this role and was like, okay, you want me to do this? I am going to do this. And he nails the tone of the character so well. And even in the comedic moments, you know, that we get later on, like you said, in Thor Ragnarok, especially, it's like, okay, we're really seeing this character come to life in different ways. And you could almost argue that of all of the characters in the MCU, Loki has changed the most over time. Yes, especially, like I said, especially in this, because then I, I watched, um, I rewatched Thor on Sunday, I think, and then I watched Avengers last night, and Loki is so different in that movie, so different than the person he is in this movie, and we skipped The Incredible Hulk because that movie, though. 
And it's how he acts in this one really sets up his character's development path. And I thought, well, even if the script wasn't good, Hiddleston really makes it work later on, as does Hemsworth, I think. Hemsworth has a very natural progression in his films. Yeah, I think we can go ahead and just dive on into the plot, though, because one of the big things that I completely forgot about involves Loki and the Frost Giants. It's like, okay, we know Loki is adopted, but I totally forgot where he even came from. I was like, oh, that's bad. That's that's really bad that I forgot all of this. Yeah, well, it never really comes up again. Yeah. Ever. And I think that's why. It's just kind of, yes, because it doesn't, it's a good origin because this movie feels like it's almost an origin for both Loki and Thor which works really well because they're so polar opposite of each other and you know the frost giants thing is just kind of when it started happening I was like oh yeah this happens I completely forgot about this (laughs) and it's so baffling at times it doesn't really work that well yeah because they they present a threat to Asgard, but they never really feel like much of a threat because they never really make any headway on their plan. Yeah, it's like three of them show up and that's it. <laughs> right. And by then, Odin is already, you know, out of the picture. Yeah. Have they ever explained why Loki is puny compared to the Frost Giants? Because that did not seem right. to register with me. I was like... Um, if he is, you know, King Laffy's son, why is he so tiny? <laughs> right. And that's, you know, that's part of the original mythology. And I'm sure that the Norse created reasons for it, but they certainly don't address it in here. And I did find the, the very early special effects in this with the fact that you never really get a good look at the Frost Giants or see how different the sizes are between them like there's not you know one of them standing next to loki with like a far shot so that you can see like oh he's approximately two and a half loki's tall or whatever. Like, they <laughs> yeah. never give you that it, it is you know from low angles close up it's like they're doing really primitive uh, and badly done lord of the rings special effects you know with yeah. the hobbits and gandalf it's like oh guys guys come on now One of the other characters I want to quickly discuss, too, is Lady Sif, because she is obviously someone who has appeared in more than one movie, and she even made her way onto Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. at one point. So it's like, okay, this character has some significance, but she just takes such a backseat in this movie, and I feel like it's because they're trying to do way too much. It's like, okay, we'll give you what you need to know. She's a warrior, even though most women aren't warriors, and Thor is cool with that, and she can fight. And that's really all we get of the character. And you can tell there's something more going on in the background. She has these moments, you know, she has a moment with Thor's mother, and they kind of just have this look on their faces, like there's something more that needs to be said, but it's never said. And I'm like, okay, all right, that's cool. I mean, I guess we don't really need this storyline, but it would have, I think, given us a more well-rounded picture of what Thor's life was like on Asgard. Yes, and it feels like it would have given us a better idea of what Asgard society is like, which, as we see later on in stuff like Black Panther and that, like giving that background makes for a much richer story. And I think you don't see Sif after 
the dark world in any of the films. And I am sad about that because, I mean, I'm glad Valkyrie is here, but it would have been great to have, you know, another strong female character in the films. And it feels like they just didn't have time or interest in developing her beyond like, oh, she's a woman warrior. Yeah, exactly. Okay, that's good. But what? That's not an identity. That's just a the job she does. Right. I was hoping for a little more when I first saw her pop up. And I was like, oh, no, they never give that to us. And, you know, this movie overall, it's fine. It's not the worst thing I have seen. It's certainly not the best thing I have seen. And because it's trying to give you the origin of not only Thor, but Loki as well, and sort of give you this history of Asgard that you might not get anywhere else because none of the other characters have anything to do with this place. It's sort of giving you so much information at once. And the movie's just under two hours long. So this was before they were willing to make the movies, you know, two and a half hours long to fit even more into them. Or in the case of the upcoming Avengers Endgame, possibly three hours long. So, (laughs) you know, it is a much shorter runtime, even if it's only shorter than most of the movies by 10 to 20 minutes. There's still a few scenes they probably could have put into this to better explain things. But that's what makes me wonder if they already knew exactly where they were going to be, you know, eight years later now. Right, because there's a whole lot going on in this movie that sets up what comes in the future. There are two Infinity Stones, and no one knows what they are. Well, maybe somebody does, but we barely even get to see them, and only in the end credit. You know, Thanos makes his first appearance in this one, and it, it's it does make me wonder the same thing. Like, well, did you know what you were doing, or were you just kind of throwing it in, and... This one speaks more for the idea that they had ideas about where they were going to go with this, even though they, you know, the next big thing that happens in this world is civil war. So, and that's its own huge storyline. Yeah. One of the things I noticed too, especially when they were on Asgard, were the buildings and the technology and everything like that, because it's such a different world. You're like, oh, okay, I kind of want to know a little more about this place. And you get sprinkles of that throughout the other movies. But really, you know, it felt like this was the place to sort of do that. We kind of only see, you know, where the royalty resides, basically. And you don't see too much. And obviously, you see the bridge and everything like that in Idris Elba's character. but. I, I just felt like there was so much more they could explore, and instead they chose to take you to the Frost Giants probably more than they needed to. Yeah, we see a lot of them. And I mean, the budget for this was $150 million, so it's not like there wasn't a lot of money here, but it felt like they didn't have a lot because the rooms they do show are really sparse. The sets don't have a whole lot of interesting stuff going on other than the scenes where S.H.I.E.L.D. comes into play. Those are a little more uh, in-depth. But yeah, it felt the world feels very spare and there's not a whole lot to pull us into Thor's life. It's just kind of 
Thor. That's what we have to work with here in regards to pulling your audience in and making them want to know more. Yeah, let's talk about the Thor and Jane storyline for a bit, though, because that is something that obviously plays a big role in this movie, but it doesn't necessarily advance as far as you think it might. It sort of starts as this scientific interest. Who is this guy? We just hit him with a car. Why is he perfectly fine? What's going on? Where did he come from? So there's all this curiosity surrounding him. And he talks funny. He doesn't really know proper etiquette. (laughs) You know, he just smashes a coffee mug on the floor (laughs) and wants more. And you can tell that that is where I think Jane is at her most comfortable, this curiosity that she has. And then they sort of try and turn it into this romantic relationship and they do it in such a weird way that I was like, you know, this really isn't working for me. Yeah, it just feels really paint by numbers. Like, well, of course she falls in love with him. Wouldn't you? That's how these things happen. It was like, well, you haven't really earned this. Why would she fall in love with him? Like, what is there to attract her to this person? I mean, sure, he's, you know, a big hulking muscle man and he's apparently got superpowers, but he also, through the first part of the movie, is, you know, like, she wouldn't think he's telling the truth because why would you? You know, like, you know, something weird's going on, but that he's a god from another world, like, that's a lot to ask. He's a bit arrogant when we meet him, too, because he's, you know, royalty on his planet, and he just expects sort of the same treatment wherever he goes. And you see that change with him, though, throughout the movie. And I like that. But at the beginning, you're like, yeah, I don't really see how any of this relationship goes beyond scientific curiosity. (laughs) Right, right. And they never really earn that by the end. And it, and she gets real awkward about the whole situation. <laughs> like, she she just doesn't know what to do. She's like, ah, oh, ah, oh, um. And it's like, she's, like, got to be in her late 20s at this point, maybe even her early 30s. Like, she's probably had a relationship before, guys. She's probably not going to act like a giggling schoolgirl Well. You know, regardless of the situation. And they mention her ex, too. Yes. At one point in the movie, because she gives Thor her ex's clothes. <laughs> and it's like, okay, you're dealing with Natalie Portman here. You could give her a little more substance. Right. Right. And so it's just that part. I was like, I'm really glad they didn't devote much time to this. Or they either need to devote a lot more or just skip it entirely and just make it well, we'll put her in the next Thor movie and we can make that the romantic thing. Yeah, it was definitely weird. And I think because of how weird it was, that was what I remembered most about this movie. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is what happened in this movie. Whereas the other stuff I was like, oh, oops, this happened. (laughs) So it's one of those things where, you know, the movie isn't that old, really. And I think just because they've had so many movies and they really ramp things up after this one, I feel like, it sort of just blends everything together. And you're like, wait, which moments mattered? Which didn't? What happened in this movie? What happened in that movie? And I'm going to be honest with you, when we talk about the Dark World, I'm going to have absolutely no clue. 
No clue. I barely remember anything in that movie. I just remember it was very dark. Yes. Yes. And I'm wondering, as we were talking about Lady Sif, I'm like, oh, I wonder if she dies in Thor the Dark World and that's why we don't hear from her or see her ever again. Thinking like, well... She might. Uh, I don't think they do that. <laughs> she, but exactly, she totally might die, and I have no idea because I've seen that movie once, and it was years and years ago, and I just remember that Christopher Eccleston is the bad guy, and that Natalie Portman goes to Asgard, and other than that, dark elves or something. Maybe Loki's in it. I don't know. We'll see when we get there. There might be something about a dwarf star. I don't even know. I have no idea. Yeah. But Sounds it's familiar. one of those things where <laughs> obviously we will have it figured out by the time we do that episode. Hopefully we'll have it figured out. Who knows, depending right. on how much <laughs> sense the movie makes. But S.H.I.E.L.D. has a pretty big presence for, you know, roughly a third of this movie or so. And you have these inexplicable events happening so you have obviously thor coming to earth his hammer being thrown to earth by his father and it just craters you know in new mexico poor new mexico by the way you know we're so used to seeing new york destroyed it's like oh okay you're just gonna take out this small town here and everything's going to be weird yeah just decimate it decimate the entire town with this giant fire thing yeah that was just it's interesting with the different places they set these things. Yeah, I I had to think about that before I said it. I was like, was it New Mexico? I think it was New Mexico. <laughs> it was indeed. It was. And they mention it a couple times when Coulson is on the phone. He says, oh, I'm going to New Mexico yeah, or something like I'm that. I'm sure he's thrilled. He's very excited. But the presence of S.H.I.E.L.D. does give us an Avenger sighting, a future Avenger sighting. So, you know, you have Hawkeye, who is clearly a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. At this point, you know, he isn't someone who has superpowers necessarily. He's just a different kind of agent because he's good with a bow and arrow. So he gets his little moment to shine when Thor goes to steal his hammer back, only to realize that he can't pick it up and he cannot figure out why. And I think that's the moment where you really see his arrogance start to die down. You know, he's like, okay, clearly. For whatever reason, I am no longer worthy of this. And clearly no one else is because no one else has come to pick it up. So you have this entire moment that changes the course of the movie for Thor. And he needs to figure out what it is that his father expects of him in order for him to be worthy again. Right. And then immediately after that, he's hit with Loki's lies about his mother essentially disowning him. And it's it does. It causes this intense sea change within him. And from that point on, he grows and develops and tries to change and puts forth a big effort to figure out what the better what a better way to be is. And that is what gives us, you know, the Thor we know today helps us get there anyway. And I liked how definite they were about, like, how shocked and just utterly gutted he is by the fact that he can't pick up the hammer anymore. That was just done so well. And then they follow it up with this, another blow and then change and growth and that. So the story in that regard works really well. That's your big emotional beat for this movie. Marvel clearly tries to have at least one of those in every movie from what I can 
recall, you know, obviously in something like Infinity War, you're going to have a lot of them because there's just yes. so many characters and you're like, oh, this person is gone. This person is gone. All the people are gone. Only half the people are gone. But <laughs> you, you right. know what I mean. And with this movie, that moment was so powerful that it you could understand why it was sort of a flip of the switch with how Thor changed his thinking. And by the end of the movie, he really understands what his purpose is supposed to be. And that enables him to get his hammer back, go back home, and sort of work some things out. You know, he always has a lot to work out with Loki. Yes, I think it works so well between the two of them, that final scene. And it foreshadows so many other, like, crazy final scenes between the two of them that happen in multiple different movies. And especially in the Avengers, it that's really sets up the interesting relationship that they have in that movie. So it's, uh, yeah, I liked that. I loved how they did that and how they make that work. And it's so out of place in that movie because everything else is just kind of a sad hodgepodge almost. Yeah. And really, Thor ends up fighting Loki by proxy. You know, he sends this massive weapon after Thor and it's the weapon that we see guarding, you know, the Tesseract, I believe, in Asgard at the beginning. Yes. So he just sort of pops out of this wall that suddenly disappears. And you take that and you bring it to Earth and S.H.I.E.L.D. tries to reason with it. Funny moment. Not going to work, obviously. Right? <laughs> and then Definitely not. you have this big showdown, but... It's not exactly the showdown you want. You want to see Loki there in person. So you're like, well, you put this big metal clunker. I guess that's what we're going to see. And even though it gives Thor his moment to shine, you're kind of like, okay, all right, that happened. And we got to where we needed Thor to get, basically. Right. And then we get our final conclusion. Then we see the Loki and Thor, you know, coming together and Thor having to sacrifice his apparent relationship with Jane and with the Rainbow Bridge. And that part of it doesn't feel quite so authentic. Feels like it almost goes a little too much. Yeah. Because it's like, well, no, we had our big emotional beat and it feels like they try to stretch that emotional beat out too long. Yeah, it definitely felt like that part kind of dragged a little bit. And then you have the destruction of the Bifrost. So everyone on Asgard is stuck on Asgard. But Loki seems to know some ways around that, which is how the Frost Giants got in. So I would think that you could just figure out what those are because, you know, you could just get Loki to tell you. But relying on him to tell the truth is not always a great moment. But are there any <laughs> other plot points you want to discuss before we dive into the post credit scene? I noticed that they didn't do mid credit scenes this far back, at least if there was one, it was not in mine. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to remember if there is or not. No, there is for this one. Or I don't know if it's a mid-credits, but it comes... The final thing is with Selvig going and yeah, that was, working that on was the post. Tesseract. Yeah. And then there's the bit with Thanos is at the very end. That's at the after the credits, I think. Or is that at the end of the movie? I swear that was after the credits because I remember being like, where's the Thanos scene? But either way, no, there's not much more to the plot to talk about. Yeah, sorry. I was thinking. 
It's all good. I know. I'm running through my brain like... Yeah. I'm looking at the list of post credit scenes, and it says the one with Selvig and the Tesseract is the post credits scene for Thor. So... Okay. I think that was the only one I saw, though. Maybe the Thanos one is at the end of Dark World? No, because I just watched it recently. Okay. Maybe it's... It must be after something. But either way, so the... It's the Avengers. The Avengers has the Thanos scene. The Avengers. Okay. Okay. See, Sorry. I watched that we, last we are night figuring this out why. as we go. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's what happens when you watch them like so smashed together. Yeah. <laughs> no, totally. And, you know, obviously the Tesseract is a very important piece, though. So to get this in the post credit scene, because we see it in the movie, it's like, okay, where did this thing go? And we know how S.H.I.E.L.D. ends up with it now thanks to Captain Marvel, which you and I already discussed. So, yes, you know, Eric Selvig has this chance to look at it, but he's being manipulated by Loki because Loki sort of just appears in the background. And Eric says exactly what Loki says word for word back to Nick Fury. So there's some mind manipulation going on here. And since we have seen the rest of these movies, we know that doesn't go so well. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And it's, there's this strange, like Nick Fury in this movie with him bringing him on and all of that. And it's like, oh, this is interesting. And I think at that point, we didn't know much about the Tesseract. I think it, it comes up in Captain America and then it comes in this. And then having watched it now, when I've seen in order of the timeline, all the way up to this, it's like, oh, wow, this is, for Nick Fury, this must be uh, awesome. Now I get to find out what the hell this thing does, because he only knows so much from what we learned in Captain Marvel, and it's interesting that they put that little thing in there, and it was another idea that, another more support to the idea that they knew where they were going to go with this. Like I said earlier, it's a fine movie. It's not the best in the MCU, but I don't know if it's necessarily at the very bottom of anyone's list. I think that spot is typically reserved for The Incredible Hulk and Thor The Dark World. And at least with the people I've discussed this with and, you know, done rankings with and everything, I think those two were the most common ones to be in the bottom spot. I think I might have seen Iron Man 2 or 3 pretty far down on the list for some people, but you know, when you have so many movies in the MCU, something's going to have to be at the bottom of your list. And while it's hard to even imagine the Incredible Hulk still being part of this cinematic universe, because it's like, well, did that really have any consequences? I guess, you know, the serum was sort of the main focus there and the experimentation and everything like that. But otherwise, you're just like, okay, that movie didn't really happen. Yep, pretty much. There's a. I did watch the uh, end credits scene for that one, which, um, and I've been watching. There was for a while they did those one shot things. Yeah. Where they'd put out little like five, seven minute mini movies, almost too short to be called shorts. And uh, so that one does play into the rest of that little story they're telling. Okay. But other than that, There's nothing in that movie that affects anything else. I mean, we even get a new Hulk because Edward Norton was particularly difficult to work with on that set, is what I hear, that he demanded to be allowed to rewrite the script in order to make it work. But whether or not that's true, 
No one knows. But we do know we got a Mark Ruffalo, and I think Ruffalo was a better choice for a Hulk by far. Yeah, I think he has a better balance of the characteristics of not only Bruce Banner, but Hulk. And with Thor, I think, you know, you can't really write this movie off because it's kind of the only origin story we have for him. And he's probably not going to be one of those characters that gets his origin story done over and over and over again. You know, that seems to be something that Spider-Man and Batman do. And that's kind of it. <laughs> and we all know right. those origin stories by now if we've been paying attention to comic book movies in the last even five years, I would say. <laughs> right. And I think, I don't know that you really need one for Thor because the whole idea of Thor is something that most people, at least in, you know, I'm just going to go with it. Most people are aware of the Thor mythos from Norse mythology. Right. And there's not that much of a difference between the two characters. I mean, once you get down to the nitty gritty of what happens, of course, there's vast differences. But in general, what Thor can do in the in Norse myths, he can do in the comic books. And it's the same upbringing, the same guy, all of that. So it's like almost he doesn't need, he doesn't necessarily have an origin story because this is just who he is. Right. It's not like Captain America or Spider-Man where they have an event in their lives that changes them and they have to come to grips with it. Thor just grew up like this. And so this is a weird origin story because it's more about, it's a story of change into being a better person, but it's forced and unwanted. Whereas with Cap and Spidey, well, it wasn't expected for Spidey. Like, he's still all about it, you know, and Captain America. Whereas this is a, a trial that Thor has to go through, which is very mythological. Yeah, I think a lot of these movies are just more accessible in general these days. You know, sometimes, especially doing my Stephen King podcast, I'll go back and try to find some of these movies or TV series from the 80s. And I'm like, where is this? Where does this live? We have the internet. Someone put it on there. <laughs> and, right. you know, you would think the streaming services would sort of jump on those kinds of back catalogs that are so hard to track down. But for whatever reason, a lot of them haven't. But with Marvel being part of Disney now, you can find Thor everywhere you know you could rent it for you know a few bucks probably four or five bucks i don't know exact numbers on that but you know you can buy it they do show these movies in theaters fairly frequently you know they're like oh a new marvel movie coming out go see the all the ones that came before it <laughs> Right. Here, come do your Marvel rewatch. I'm sure theaters will be doing it in the next couple of weeks, folks, for Avengers Endgame. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you can walk into a Best Buy or Target even still and find a lot of the Marvel movies on the shelves. They're not really just going away because they're eight, nine, ten years old now. <laughs> you know, they're still right. sitting around on the shelves because it's Disney. So they they aren't going to just disappear or anything like that. So I think with these movies being so much more accessible now. And even I would say that comics are relatively more accessible now, too, because a lot of them have gone digital. You can buy on Comixology. Marvel has their own comic store that you can buy from. They have Marvel Unlimited, where for 10 bucks a month, you get access to 
over 25,000 comics now. They just keep adding and adding and adding to that. So, you know, for me, I pay for that yearly. I'm like 70 bucks for comics all year and you're going to keep adding more? Yes, please. Right. And even for those who aren't even as, you know, who don't even want to pay that much for it. I know Amazon has, periodically, they have a rotating selection of comics. Like they Captain Marvel, the yeah. two big, most recent Captain Marvels, those are just free. Yeah. If you have Amazon Prime, they are free. You can download them and read them. And they have a ton of other ones that are free. And you can, usually any big Marvel thing that's coming out, they put out the more recent stuff and make it available so that people can get into it. And then they'll hopefully subscribe to Marvel and all of that. Well, I'm sure Amazon hopes they'll buy there, but subscribe, folks. Always subscribe. <laughs> Keeps more comics in the system. Yeah, and it's just something where I think Marvel has really been able to grasp how to handle the digital age with all of this. You know, they're a big company, even if Disney hadn't bought them. You know, I still think they'd have the people who could figure these things out. And I, for one, am very glad that these things can just sort of be found everywhere now. It makes it a lot easier when you're wanting to go rewatch them and even just maybe keep them. You know, it's like, okay, going to start a collection here so I don't have to go back and find it every single time something new comes out and I need to revisit other stuff because this has been going for so long. You know, it's like if they were to release Black Panther 2, I would probably want to go watch the first movie before going in to see that. And I think a lot of people feel the same way. I didn't necessarily do that with Thor Ragnarok, though, because I was like, look, I know this is different enough nope. that the first two don't really matter when I go see this. Yep, exactly. I, I knew it was a Taika Waititi movie, and so I was like, well, I'm watching that. That could be pretty much anything, and if it's got him behind it, I'll watch it. And then I watched it. was like, well, now Thor's maybe one of my favorite characters, because his interpretation of Thor is so different and so and fits so well with the character. It makes me think that having watched Thor Ragnarok makes me more patient with stuff like Thor and probably Thor the Dark World, because I know where this character is going, and I know how they'll use him and how much I'll enjoy him later. So I did think about it like that, because I remember really not liking either of the Thor movies and being very like, ugh, these are not good. Don't want to watch any more <laughs> Thor movies. Yeah. But... Now, I'll watch as many Thor movies as they release if they've got Taika doing it, or even someone who's going to, you know, he's the same way in Infinity War, and I'm sure it'll be the same in Endgame. So it's like, now they've got an interesting character, so now I'm down to watch it, and it makes me more patient for the older stories where they hadn't quite figured out how to use this character yet. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a good note to end this on, though. You know, it's not a super long episode, but I wasn't expecting it to be, especially with some of the movies that I have left leading up to Endgame. You know, it's two Thor movies and the two Ant-Man yeah. movies. So you have some fun in there, but then you have some very dark moments that aren't as fun. <laughs> yes, exactly. And we got through one of the meh. Yeah. <laughs> it's not bad. It's not good, but it's not bad. Yeah. It's worth watching if you've never seen it and you want to be like aware of all the different aspects of the Marvel Universe. This is definitely worth putting on your rewatch list, but maybe not the most fun movie. <laughs> yeah. And I am looking forward to our discussion on Thor The Dark World, which we will be having yes. soon. I have not rewatched that one yet. And I know you will be getting to it relatively soon, I believe. So we'll have that coming soon. <laughs> Yes, I think it's within the next three that I have to watch. So we'll see how I feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Exactly. Well, Katie, thank you again for coming on to talk about this one. And to our listeners, you can find us at Geekdom Pod on Twitter. Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram. Welcome to Geekdom on Facebook as well. You can subscribe in iTunes, Google, wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, thank you all for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.